0: We're gonna talk a little bit more about current events when we get into the lesson uh, today in Daniel chapter seven. But as you know, this is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, you know, we in America we celebrate that. Uh, a lot of people don't even understand the purpose of Memorial Day weekend, so they think it's a it's a time to have a party, a time to you know barbecue or whatever. But you know, and I know, it's more than that. Uh, Memorial Day was set aside because of our servicemen and women who died in the line of fire, to give us our freedoms that we have. And that's why we always put up the banners of our military. And it will forever stay, even when we get to the new church, we're always going to keep those banners up to remind us that we wouldn't be sitting here uh, with the freedoms that we have without what our men and women did of the military And that's going all the way back to when America was founded. All the bloodshed, the Civil War, World War I, II, and Vietnam, Korea, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, all that stuff um, afforded us these freedoms. But unfortunately, as you know, we got a a good chunk of America doesn't take this seriously. They take our rights and freedoms for granted. In fact, they want to take it away. You talk to some of these young people, and they say, well, I agree with free speech, but I don't agree with hate speech. Well, I'm sorry. The definition of free speech is that you can say anything you want. What are you talking about? You can't define that. And then you see freedom of religion uh, being pushed, uh, uh, pushed down and, 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 and tried to be controlled, like we saw with the lockdowns and all that stuff. And so understand, what you and I believe... The majority of the country doesn't, and especially a lot of our leaders don't. They want to see our rights and freedoms be taken away. So here's the thing on Memorial Day we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to our loved ones and family and friends who died in, the, in service to, uh, uh, to our country. And so we, 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 we can't just give away those rights. We can't just uh, say, okay, take them, Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden or whatever. Our relatives, our loved ones, our friends died for something. And so we need to honor that and stand in the gap. So here's what I want to do today. Uh, On Veterans Day, we have the veterans stand up and we honor the veterans from the different branches. But today, uh, Memorial Day, we are remembering loved ones, family, and friends that served in the military that went already uh, with the Lord. So if you have a grandfather, a father, cousin, uncle, brother, somebody like that that served in one of the divisions of our military, we're going to play the military song. And uh, if, if uh, you, you hear that military, you know, oh, my dad was in uh, the Army or my grandfather was in the Navy, you stand today and represent them proudly, okay? And we want to honor their memory. We want to honor their sacrifice and so uh, when you hear that branch, you stand for them, okay? So go ahead and play that video as we honor the military. Amen. So make sure not only today, uh, tomorrow we celebrate that, but we, we stand in the gap for them because so many, so many people are trying to take that away from us. And we're going to talk a little bit about that going into our lesson today in Daniel chapter 7. You're going to see why the people on the outside want to take away our rights and freedoms. You will understand it from a scriptural standpoint, why they're motivated to do so. So we're going to jump into that. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel 7. We'll start in verse 1. Uh, I think we'll get to 18. But here's what, what we've entitled this the providence of thrones. And what you're going to see is a prediction by Daniel of how God is orchestrating the, the rulership of the times of the Gentiles all the way through to the second coming. It will span an a, 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 a era from Babylon all the way to the second coming. And what you will see from this is a chronological sequencing of events that lays the foundation for other passages, uh, prophetic passages, whether you're in any of the minor prophets, you're in the Gospels, or you're in the book of Revelation. Daniel 7 and 2 is the foundation, and all the other prophecies rest on top of it. So it is the pinnacle of prophecy. And so we're going to be neck deep in it. I, I just Hold on to your hats. There's a lot of info I got to bring out, but I will bridge it to current events because currently, what's happening was predicted by Daniel, and you'll you'll see that as we go through. Unfortunately, like I've mentioned, we're watching our leaders hand over our sovereignty. We just dodged a bullet uh, this week. We, um, we were going to meet at the World Health Organization, 194 countries, and we were going to give our sovereignty over to the World Health Organization to determine our medical here in the United States. And we were handing over the keys. Biden is actually the leader in that. But thank God, some guy from the UK, I can't remember his name, he stopped it and they tabled the issue. Now, they may, they may come back to it, um, but at least someone put a, you know, uh, they said, look, we're, we, this is way more than what we can, we can do here. Let's stop this and think about it another time. Because it does hand over all nations that are involved in it, uh, its sovereignty medically. Can you imagine Tedros at, at the World Health Organization telling you and I what we can do and what doctors we can see, what medications I can get? We just went through Fauci for the last uh, two and a half years, and we had a medical dictator, and we're going to go trade Fauci for Tedros at the World Health Organization? That's crazy. But it's our leaders just handing over the keys to these people. And there's a reason for that. We'll talk about it. Did you know, the, uh, you know uh, Joe Biden came with a slogan when he was running for presidency, of build back better? Okay? How is this relevant? Well, it's relevant to the globalists. Did you know Joe Biden's original campaign... Slogan was no malarkey? Yeah. Does that sound stupid? It takes an ice cream eating guy like that to come up with a slogan, no malarkey. That was their campaign slogan. No joke, man. How goofy is that? Like a third grader came up with that. No malarkey. But you know what happened? He got a phone call. The globalists called him. Probably Klaus Schwab. Hey man, you need to dump that slogan and go with our slogan. Build back better because that's what the World Health uh, World uh, Economic Forum, the uh, the Globalists, the UN pushes that slogan. Okay, now why is that important? Do not think for a moment that Joe Biden wants to build back America. That's a misnomer. Or that Australia wants to build back better, or any of these Western countries in Europe or wherever want to build their countries back from the COVID shutdowns and all the lockdowns that happened. No, it's not about that. Build back better has to do with something they want that was ancient and they want back again. Build back better. Build what back? If it's not the United States, it's not Canada, it's not any of these other countries, what do they want to build back? I've heard that term before in Genesis. It's Babylon. Let us build a tower unto the heavens. Man... Coming in a global government, a global religion under Nimrod, and of course that wasn't the right timing, so God stopped it and confused the languages. So really what in essence a build back better means, build back the tower, build back the Babylonian system, and we're going to have Rome usher it in so eventually the Antichrist will rule and reign. That's what they're building back. They're not building back any country. Huh. And how are they doing it? By destroying the nations of the world's economies. That's the first thing you've got to do. They've already demoralized us. They've already replaced our morals. Okay? That was one of the steps of Marxists. You infiltrate, you demoralize, you get rid of their values and the Christianity, and then you bring in your own values, and then after demoralizing, you're just going to take their economy. So a U.S. economy heading towards a recession, economists warns 100% odds of global shutdown. Not a national shutdown, a global shutdown is what they're telling is coming. Why? It's like, it's like they say, oh, we can't control anything. It's all Russia. It's all, it's all happening in the Ukraine. This is the, your problem, guys. No, it's not. This is intentional damage, systematic damage on purpose. That's why they're not correcting any of this stuff. They wanted to do that. So why? To destroy what we have, all the nation's economy, to build back a global economy. That's what it's about. Bloomberg even had an article that we're now reached globally the age of scarcity, right? On a global scale. Think about stuff that people can't get anymore. Certain items, baby formula. What's in in the world, man? What are we talking about here? Certain foods you can't get. So, so for instance, uh, food prices are going up. Have you noticed that? Food prices are skyrocketing. So I read this article of the New York Post, and it said that a restaurant owner, he's reconsidering where the, whether he's going to serve wings or not. Now, for 15 wings, in order to cover his cost, he has to, he has to uh, charge $34 for 15 wings. I want you to think about that. Wings, the little things that have no meat, hardly. And we're going to pay $34 for 15 of these little things? By the way, um, one, of, one of our roommates in college, he consumed, for a record, 97 wings in one sitting. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Anyway, I do digress. Anyway, um, so he's going to pull the, 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 the wings off the menu because he says that's crazy. I'm not going to I'm not going to serve wings for thirty four dollars. This is where the meats going. The, the scarcity of meat is going ready to happen. Okay, now <clears throat> the gas, as you're noticing, there's no end in sight. By the way, we're using national reserves that we use in like wartime and stuff because we're so green now, so eco friendly, so Sierra uh, sensitive that we're, 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 we're not going to do any fossil fuels anymore. Oh, we're going to go to wind and solar. Isn't that a utopian great? Uh, no, you're going to destroy the economy because of this. So now they're, 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 you know, Washington State ran out of gas, I guess, uh, some of the stations, and they're prepping now the new signs, the marquees, to put another digit so we can add $10 to your gas. What do you think is going to happen when gas is $10? As far as the supply chain, it means you drive your prices going to skyrocket because they, the, the manufacturers, the deliverers, are going to have to charge that for gas prices in order to deliver the stuff. So they, there's no end in sight in this, and it's planned. It's totally planned. Huh. So like Dr. Walver said, what you're about to embark on in, in, in Daniel 7 is the pinnacle. It is the key to understanding everything else. If you understand Daniel 7 and 2, everything will make sense because it serves as a chronology, and so it's huge. Okay, So Walvoord pointed that out. But here's the problem. Pastors are literally boycotting prophecy now, literally not doing it on purpose. I wouldn't want to be them when you stand before the Lord. And he asked you, hey, man, The last days went down and you stayed silent. You didn't prepare my people. So what do you think of a person that refuses to teach a third of the Bible in the time that we're living in? You're not being a shepherd. You're not a shepherd at all. You don't even care for the flock. You don't even care to warn them and prepare them and get them ready. You would rather them be blind going into this. I'm saying you're not a shepherd then. You're at least not acting like one. You understand, Lifeway research said only 2% of the pulpits even talk about prophecy. That means 98% of them are not. It's zip, zero, nothing. What are they talking about then? I don't know. Best life now? Every day is Friday? Liver quivers? I don't know. I don't know, but that's what they do. I want you to see this blessing, okay? This is important for you and I as, as we are good prophecy students, okay? And so we have this prophetic word confirmed. What do you mean? Well, what's Peter talking about? Well, in the context of 2 Peter, what is this prophetic word? He's talking about prophecy, prophetic word, okay, prophecy. We had it confirmed. If you read the preceding verses before it, it's talking about the transfiguration of the Messiah. Remember when they went to the high hill, and we probably think it was Mount Hermon? And, and Peter, James, and John follows them up there, and they see Messiah transfigured with Moses and Elijah. Remember that scene? So they, what did they do? They saw his glory. But it's more than just seeing his glory. It's a prophetic confirmation, according to Peter. How so? When they saw Messiah in his glory at the transfiguration, what it signaled is that this is what he will look like at the second coming. This is the full manifestation of the Son of Man. And it seals the deal that th- this transfiguration of the Messiah at the second coming also means that then he will establish his kingdom. So the transfiguration had a twofold effect this is how he will look, and this is the kingdom he will establish at the second coming. So it confirmed all prophecies by the transfiguration, okay? But then what does it do? Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Now, it's the idea of, uh, of an option. You have the option that if you study prophecy, you understand what it's doing, you will see. You will see what's going on in the world. You'll heed it as a light. It shines on the darkness. The, dark, the darkness is referring to is the world, how, how dark it is. You notice that unbelievers and even Laodicean believers cannot discern the signs of the times. They have no idea. They can only go so far. And so they're like blind people walking around in a dark room saying, what's happening? I don't know, but it's crazy. That's all they say. I don't know, but it's crazy. But you have the ability to say, it is crazy, but X, Y, and Z are happening to fulfill this which gives you light, you see the blueprint, you understand where it's going, and believe it or not, that increases your faith, that increases your peace, you're not stressed out, anxiety-filled, running off to and fro because you don't know what to do, like a chicken with its head cut off. You know exactly where this is playing out, and you know that your God will provide for you and see you through it. You're settled. Having a view of prophecy gives you a settled peace, which very few Christians didn't understand. Now, what, what do you mean? Well, look what he says. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is that? The morning star is a reference to Christ. He is the morning star. Now, the Old Testament predicted that the, the morning star would rise. It would be the sun of righteousness. And what is this, this day that dawns? What is that? That's the second coming with the inauguration of the kingdom. Oh, wait a second. So if you heed the light of prophecy and and you take it in and you understand what's going on, it'll do something to you until the day dawns and the morning star rises where? In your heart. Now, we're talking about a physical kingdom, a physical return, but you can experience, believe it or not, the second coming, and the, the Messiah in your heart when you grasp prophecy. So what does that mean? It will be as real to you as if it's happening, even though it's future. You, you, if you truly believe Jesus is coming back, He's, he, all this stuff is heading in a direction. It actually becomes real to you, and the blessing you get is you can experience the joy of the second coming and the kingdom right now if you do this but if you don't pay attention to prophecy you will not get this experience now when i look at things and this is how you should look at it yeah there's a lot of bad things but i don't lose sleep over it because the joy in me is every time they do something evil it's like all right we're one step closer going home one step closer seeing jesus one step closer to the kingdom all this is falling in place And so that produces a joy and actually gives you a calm shalom when you're dealing with what we see in the world. It's very upsetting, but that's what prophecy does. So instead of getting away from it, you have to immerse yourself into it. Okay, so that's the understanding. So let's dig in, and we're going to dig in pretty deep. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. It's in the Aramaic language. Every time it's in the Aramaic language... It's referring as a message to the Gentiles, particularly the Gentile leaders. When it addresses uh, Israel, Daniel will switch into Hebrew, because he's speaking to his people. But speaking to the religious uh, sorry, the political leaders, the kings and officials of the world, he speaks in Aramaic. Now why? He is sending a message to every king and leader today whether it's George Soros, Bill Gates, Joe Biden, Macron, Klaus Schwab, this message is for them. And he is telling them, you guys are playing a game of thrones, but really I'm the one controlling the thrones. I am the one through my providence who's controlling everything you're doing and you have no clue. George Soros doesn't understand he's being controlled Neither does Bill Gates, and I'm not talking about free will and violating that, but they're being pushed in a direction, and they don't even know it. It's called the providence of God. God is getting his will accomplished with even their free will, and they don't even know it. When we say the cliche, God is in control, I'm going to show you how he's in control today through Daniel. So in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on the bed. Now, this is 15 years before Belshazzar dies, so it's kind of going retro. Um, Chapter 7 should be before chapter 5 because Belshazzar was killed with the handwriting on the wall by the Medes and Persians. So this is 15 years before this and 50 years from when Daniel translated or or, or, um, interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream 50 years ago. So you're right in the heart of this. Then he wrote it down, telling the main facts. Here are the facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Let's unpack that and understand what he's saying. I saw my vision at night, and behold, four winds of heaven. Now, these are not literal winds. Believe it or not, uh, this is in the Aramaic. When you go from the Aramaic and you put this Aramaic word, it's very similar to a Hebrew word. It is a reference to angels. There are four specific powerful angels. Now, we'll see these angels in the book of Revelation. There's four of them. Very powerful. Now, what is their purpose? The idea of the four winds is for all the four corners of the earth, so to speak, all directions. They control that. Not, not literal. They can't control the winds, no doubt about it. But it's more figurative. What is this talking about? The winds... Do what? They're stirring up the great sea. Now, what is the great sea? The great sea literally is the Mediterranean. Okay, the Mediterranean is a center of Gentile activity from the Bible. You remember uh, J.R. Tolkien that wrote The Hobbit and then he wrote Lord of the Rings? You might have seen the movies or whatnot. Notice that what they called, what J.R. Tolkien called the realm of Lord of the Rings and and uh, The Hobbit, Middle Earth. Remember that term, Middle Earth. That term comes from the Bible because Israel is Middle Earth. It's in the center of the Earth. The Mediterranean is Center Sea. Okay, this is why you got Middle Earth and Center Sea, the Mediterranean. Okay, the Mediterranean. Is literal, and all four empires that Daniel predicts were contiguous uh, when they expanded their empire to the Mediterranean Sea. So all involved in the Mediterranean Sea. But metaphorically, the Mediterranean Sea represents the Gentile nations, okay? But notice what the winds are doing. What are the angels doing with the winds? The winds are stirring the Gentiles up, primarily the Gentile leaders up. Okay, so in the Aramaic... The way it's portrayed is that this wind is blowing uh, the seas. It's the idea of a crushing um, wave that's coming upon a rock, constantly slapping it, moving it. Well, the idea then is whatever these angels are doing, they're pushing things in a certain direction, okay? The, The... the Aramaic is in the imperfect, which means it's constantly going on. These angels are constantly doing this. It's not just one time. So, what are they doing? They're stirring up the great sea. What Daniel is explaining is this this is the, called the providence of God. But he has four angels that execute his plans and purpose by influencing and pushing the Gentiles in a direction according to their free will, but even in that free will, he is pushing constantly. All four angels are pushing from all sides, the Gentiles, to go into a certain direction. When we say God's in control, that's what we mean, and he does it by the agent of angels. Okay, What do you mean? They're influencing, whether they know it or not, People like Soros, they're influencing people like Macron or Klaus Schwab. These people think they're in control, but they're not. God's moving in a direction. And what's the ultimate direction? I'm going to use the times of the Gentiles, these four empires, in order to accomplish my will, which is to put my son on the throne and make all of his enemies a footstool. And then he rules and reigns for a thousand years and into eternity. That's the direction the angels are pushing the Gentile nations to. So let's talk about right now. The direction you see going on in America and Western societies is very troubling, isn't it? A lot of evil is happening. But according to that passage, it's happening for a reason, isn't it? Joe Biden thinks he's in control. It's actually God allowing him, and the angels pushing him in that direction. Why? Because I want you to think about this. Is the ultimate to regain American prominence, is that what we are looking for? No. What we're looking for, for what? The Messiah and his kingdom. So when you see all these bad things going on, you have to reinterpret that as, yeah, you're losing your country, but that means you're getting closer to the kingdom. That's the whole point. It grieves me to see America do this, right? But we're at the point of no return. But where are we going? Messiah, his kingdom. I would rather live in the Messianic kingdom than even here, right? Messianic kingdom, unbelievable. That's where it's going. So that's how you, you need to interpret the signs of the times. It's heading in that direction because of these four angels. Okay, so then the vision he interprets. He says, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from, each, uh, from the other. Now, the, the reason is they're animal-like features, uh, and he sees four of them. This corresponds to Daniel chapter 2 and the metallic man of the four different metals. Okay, So here's a better way of looking at it. Daniel 2 is the metallic man, and then the beasts are representative of those four empires. We'll talk about each beast as we go. Now, what's the point? In Daniel chapter 2, God gives Nebuchadnezzar, a Gentile, a dream that he can't interpret. So Daniel has to be brought in and interpret what the dream was, and the metallic man is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. But let me tell you what perspective it's coming from. The metallic man is coming from human interpretation of the four Gentile empires. And The human interpretation is, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this glorious? Isn't this grand of what man has accomplished? Whether you're talking about Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, Greece, or Rome. Isn't that wonderful? That's from man's perspective. What they're doing right now, reviving Rome back and creating a global government, they think this is great. They don't know how evil this is. But see, from man's perspective, isn't it wonderful that we could have a global government? Is their mentality. Okay, so then you switch it to Daniel 7. What's happening in Daniel 7? Who gets the vision? Daniel, straight from Yahweh. And he's going to interpret. But what Daniel is saying is this is God's perspective of man's kingdoms. And the perspective God is trying to say is they're nothing but a bunch of beasts, they're animals. They're human beings in control, acting like animals because they're cruel and they devour and they steal and they kill. And it doesn't matter. They have no conscience like an animal. The Romans won. And that's what all these Gentiles empires are about. They don't care about people. They eat them alive. You think Joe Biden or any of these people care about you? No, you're nothing but a bunch of peasants we will deal with you. You're an annoyance to them. That's why the, 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 the um, empires are seen from God's perspective. They don't even, they're not even human. They don't have anything. It's all animal-like, and that's what we've been watching even currently. It's animal-like. Think about the lockdowns. That's animal. We, they were putting us in cages, right? That's, a, that's what you do to animals. All this other stuff. It's all animal-like, Okay. So that's God's perspective. So let's go through each one. I'm going to give you some history, and then we're going to get to the last one. What we're referring to is, this is called the times of the Gentiles, Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. Jesus remarked that Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled at the second coming. It goes all the way with that. Um, The times of the Gentiles basically is Jerusalem and the Temple Mount will be dominated by Gentiles until the second coming. That's, That's what they are. That's what it is. And basically, it's saying that this last empire, this beast empire, will be there at the first coming and will also be there at the second coming. So what we understand from prophecy, according to Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Revelation 13, is there are five phases to the beast. I'll get get to that in a second. But that's how Rome can expand from not only the first coming, but Rome expands into the second coming as well. Okay? So follow me. <clears throat> Verse 4 The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Now, this is Babylon, right? This is, this is Nebuchadnezzar. And the issue is the lion was also all, always associated with Babylon. But think of a lion as an animal it devours, it kills, it kill, goes after prey, it eats them alive to where there's nothing left but bones. Okay? It devours. The wings represent swiftness, that the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar was extremely fast at conquering people, okay? So we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, head of the Babylonian Empire, and even their, 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 their archaeological remains um, show you that they had this, this concept of a line with wings, and sometimes they put a head of a man on there or some other type of creature, but this image is appropriate for Babylon, okay? It's all over the place. I honestly think some of these, these, these uh, statues that they have in the British Museum, that they were actually creating things that looked like cherubim uh, from, from the, the way back in Babylon when they actually saw cherubim, um, you know, guarding the, the garden tomb. Not, sorry, garden tomb, I'm way off. Guarding... The uh, entrance to the, ta- the, the garden tabernacle, if that makes sense. It's a wallless garden. And I think that story of what these cherubim looked like passed on. And it passed on to Noah's family, and then they passed it on of what these cherubim looked like that guarded the entrance to the garden temple. Um, so you see these, these cherubim like creatures all over Babylon. It's weird. So they had some type of vestige of a memory of what they looked like, that garden that guarded the garden. Anyway, so we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, but this is what it says, I watched till its wings were plucked off. Now, the idea is wings are plucked off. Why? Well, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. This is a reference to Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. Remember, his pride got him in trouble, and God turned him into an animal-like individual for seven years at the end of seven years nebuchadnezzar comes to himself and realizes oh my goodness this is the one true god and he actually gets saved okay so what happens after nebuchadnezzar gets saved its wings were plucked off what do you mean at that point in history nebuchadnezzar will not venture out to do any more conquest So the conquest stops once he gets saved. And what Nebuchadnezzar does is he turns on his internal affairs to make Babylon a prosperous place and make sure trade and all these other things domestically were running well instead of conquering people. That's what happened. And the idea it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and given a man's heart. Nebuchadnezzar goes from a beast to a man that's saved. That's the idea. He's only one of the only guys that God does this for, and that he responds to it. That Then Babylon takes on humanity, and it, it, believe it or not, Nebuchadnezzar becomes more caring as a leader. So that all happened in history. It's weird. But it can only be explained by what this verse predicted. Okay. Let's go to the next beast that follows. The next empire that follows Babylon is the Medo-Persians. That's who took over and killed Belshazzar with the handwriting on the wall. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus it, to it, "'Arise, devour much flesh.'" Now, in contrast to Babylon, Medo-Persia was very, very large. The bear, like a big Kodiak bear, is bigger than a lion, okay? But a bear is slower, isn't it? Notice that the bear is raised up on one side, and it has three ribs in its mouth. Let me explain that. If you can see, that's the Babylonian Empire in the pink, and then that's the Medo-Persian Empire that we're discussing. Notice how big it got. A bear is bigger than a lion. And notice that the bear had uh, three ribs in its mouth. It means that it has went after a nation, devoured it, and that's all that's left is the bones of it. So when Medo-Persia took over, the first thing they did is they took over Babylon, right? That's the first rib. The second rib, they went into Egypt and took Egypt. And then the third rib is they went into Turkey and took Phrygia or uh, Lydia, which in our modern day vernacular, that's Turkey. They took those three areas immediately. And that's why the three ribs are in its mouth. The reason the bear is lopsided is because it was a combination of the Medes and the Persians, and the Persians were the stronger one. So the bear is tipped uh, tipped to the side because of the strength of the Persians. Now, there's two major leaders that come out of Persia that have biblical significance. One on the left-hand side is Cyrus the Great. Cyrus, I believe, was saved he allowed Israel to go back into their land after the Babylonian captivity. He was predicted by Isaiah 150 years before he even existed. This guy's a good guy. He was friendly to Israel and allows them to go back. Now, the next guy is Xerxes. You might've heard of Xerxes if you read the book of Esther. Xerxes is the king Esther is dealing with, right? And Mordecai and Haman, you know the whole story. So in history, Xerxes is pretty well known. He expanded the empire, Now, as you can see, he expanded the empire into Greece when it's far up there. Now, there's a connection there with Greece. I'll show you in just a bit. So when he expands into Greece, he's met with opposition. But remember, Xerxes is a bear. He's got plenty of soldiers. So what happens? The Spartans try to hold off Xerxes. Xerxes is throwing his immortal soldiers. They're called the immortals and they're highly trained, developed, elite killing machines. And he throws the immortals, in, a, and they get stuck in this cavern, uh, not cavern, sorry, this, this causeway. It's very narrow, and the Spartans can hold them off pretty good. There was 300 at the end. So they all get slaughtered eventually by Xerxes because even though how many Spartans killed the immortals, Xerxes just had more and more and more, and just never ended in soldiers. That's the idea of the bear. So it would just overwhelm armies. It was slower, but it was just overwhelming, so it overwhelmed the Spartans. And you know that story, whether you've seen the movie or you've seen uh, uh, or read it in history books. That's where the 300 comes from, and they couldn't overwhelm Xerxes. Okay. But that left a mark on Greece, It left a mark on a lot of people that Greece had fallen to Persia. So it kind of stuck in their minds as a splinter, and they're like, we're going to do something about this. And they did. And that's the next vision. After this, I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. This is the Grecian Empire, and it's under Alexander the Great, okay? Computer images, they, we, they have taken busts of Alexander the Great, mosaics and pictures, not, not pictures, but you know uh, they would put, make mosaics of him like you see in that middle picture, and this is basically a computer generator of what they think Alexander the Great looked like. Obviously, you can see in the mosaic, they had blonde hair, He was a young man that took over. Now, what stuck in the Grecian mind was that will never happen again, what happened with the 300 and Sparta, and we will make sure we take over the empire, and they did. And they did it under Alexander the Great, and he moved like lightning fast. Notice that the animal, the beast of the Grecian Empire, has four wings. It's double the wings than Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was fast, but Alexander is way faster he has double the wings. And when you read about Alexander's conquest, it was brutally fast. He'd go in there and just wipe people out like there was no tomorrow, fast. Alexander the Great's in his late 20s, early 30s. He's just a young guy and he's doing all of this. So what about the four, the four heads though? Because Alexander has one head. Where would four come from? Alexander the Great, even though he became the world leader at the time, at 33 years of age, drunk himself to death. He was an alcoholic. And it tells you, here's somebody that ruled the world for only a brief period of time because he couldn't get from under the alcohol. And he drank himself to that. He dies at 33 in Babylon. At that point, his four generals take over. There's where the four heads come from. You had Ptolemy in the purple in the Egypt area. You had Seleucus in the yellow area, which is the major part of the Middle East, Lysimachus in the orange, and then Cassander in the green over there in uh, parts of, of Greece. There's where the four heads come from. Okay, so according to prophecy, this is what happened, and it happened in history. It verified prophecy. So then what? Now we've got we to focus in on this boy. This one's the bad dude, okay? They all were bad, except Nebuchadnezzar at the end, but at the end of the day, this is the major thing we're looking at. After this, after the Grecian Empire falls, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Now, this fourth beast falls on the heels of the end of the Grecian Empire. Well, guess what? That's Rome. It's easy to identify. It's Rome, Okay? And this fourth beast is dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. See, it's not bone teeth, it's iron relating to the iron on Daniel's metallic man in the legs. It's related to, to both. They have iron. Iron crushes. And it was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. What does that mean? What will the Roman Empire do that's different than all the other previous empires? Well, when Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar attacked another place, they didn't try to utterly destroy the place. They would keep it up and they would do nation building sometimes with their own own policies and procedures. They would use the natives of the area and they kept it going for taxation or whatever. Okay. Rome was different, completely different. It crushed people to the ground. It didn't care About the people, it slaughtered people or enslaved them. Rome enslaved more people than any other empire. And follow me on this. Rome was not into nation building. It was into building their own nation. So when it attacked a nation, it could give a rip what happens to that nation. It was to the ground as dust Nothing mattered. Ah, let's go to current events. Rome is still with us. The next stage of Rome is the global government. When I told you about build back better doesn't refer to building the United States, do you know where that comes from? This animal. Rome is not interested in rebuilding the United States. It wants to crush it destroy it for what for its roman empire that's what this is going on right now in america it explains why our leaders are destroying our country and not trying to build it back we had grace for four years and we spurned it and now god has given it over and saying that the romans will take over and they will crush it to the ground I hate to tell you this, but that's Rome's motivation. They don't care about nation building. You think Klaus Schwab cares about nation building? No. Macron, any of them? No. Oh, because they say, because they say it so much on TV. We're about building democracy. Uh, we're about building this. Fair, fair life to everybody. No, they're not. It's Rome. And Rome, all they do is crush to control. It's happening right now. That's what explains why Biden is destroying America and Gavin Newsom's destroying California and all these other places. But notice what it says then. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had 10 horns. What is different about Rome than previous empires? One thing, and you better learn it quick because it's happening right now. It's called imperialism, imperialism. See, as I've explained this before, when Babylon, Medo-Persia, or even uh, Greece conquered an area, they would rule that area, but they would rule it with the natives of the country, okay? And, And through that, buying them off, they could rule that country without putting their own people in place or anything like that. Rome did the opposite. For the first time in history, Rome says, we're not using the natives. Forget that. We'll have rebellion. We're putting our own guys in place. And we'll put our own soldiers on the ground. And then we'll tax them and they will pay us. And if not, the Roman soldiers will kill them. Any rebellion will be squashed by the Roman soldiers, Allah, first century, Allah, la Jesus' era, right? Who was in control of Israel? Pontius Pilate. Herod was a puppet. It was Pontius Pilate that was in control. He was ruling Israel. Really, that's what imperialism is. Imperialism, guys, means they're going to control your entire life from an outside source. They don't allow freedom of religion. They don't allow freedom of speech. They don't allow any of that because Rome controls. You're nothing but a slave to Rome. That's what they're turning us into, is slaves. Stripping us of our rights. Having no say in these bureaucrats that make decisions for us. And what do we, every day they do it, we become slaves. It's Rome. That's what Rome is. Now think about this. I've talked to you about imperialism. I've talked to you about, you're going to get a carbon tax. You're going to get all this weird stuff happening. they are going to control the air temperature in your house. All this junk, and then if the World Health Organization gets their hands on it, they're going to control your medical, okay? That's imperialism, okay? But it goes farther than you think, way farther than you think. And I've just come to this realization in the last few years of how far they're really willing to go, and it's really evil. It's not just controlling you from the outside like a slave. With technology, they want to control the inside, I've only figured this out in the last few years that they want to control your insides. Oh wow. Let me talk about it in just a bit. So here's the stages. In Jesus' day, when Rome existed, you had the United Stage. Okay? It lasted about 364. Remember, then it broke up and went into and this was what Rome controlled. Notice what ocean or sea they controlled? Middle Sea, the Mediterranean. Notice what other part of this area they controlled called Middle Earth, Israel. They had all, everything under control in the Mediterranean. Thus, pointing to the fact that one day they will control the entire world. If the Mediterranean represents all the Gentiles, it is foreshadowing that Rome will control the entire world at some point in time under the Antichrist. Then the two-division stage happened, right? East and West separated. Constantinople was the capital in the East. Rome was the capital in the West. And this didn't last very long, but it separated in uh, 364 by Emperor Valentinian. He divided the empire. And now we are in this stage, this phase, the second phase. So as Rome broke in half, you had an eastern leg and you had a western leg, exactly according to Daniel's prediction of the metallic man. We are currently in this stage but let me explain a little history of, of where the center of power went from the eastern leg and the western leg, and I want to connect it to current events. So follow me, or I'll lose you like a wet bar of soap in the shower. Okay. The eastern leg lasted longer than the western leg. It went to about four, uh, sorry, 1453 AD. It lasted that long. And what happened was the Muslims the Tur- under the Turks came up and invaded Constantinople. Constantinople is in modern-day Turkey, right? So they saw this invading horde of Muslims coming up, and they were going to take over. So what the princes and the scholars and the rulers and the politicians of that day, they fled. But guess where they fled? They went north, directly up north, and they landed in to modern-day Russia. And then they wormed their way into the Russian government and brought that Roman mentality into Russia and hence would call their kings what? Czars, which is Russian for Caesar. That has never left that area. That area is still there. That's where the power is. So, by the way, Putin is where the center of power is on the Eastern Leg. If Putin is Gog of Magog, if he is that person, Western Europe is not going to stop him. The United States is not going to stop him. He's going to continue to do what he wants and then eventually go and attack Israel, and God will take Putin out and in the Eastern Leg. What about the West? The West didn't last very long in the divided state, and it had the same problems. All kinds of problems came to where it collapsed. But once they saw the collapse happen, they too, the nobles, the rulers, the teachers, the educated ones, all fled north. And they went up to Western Europe, centered primarily in France. Now in France, about 800 AD, an emperor by the name of Charlemagne, have you ever heard of Charlemagne? Charlemagne came to that position, and he, and he took over most of Western Europe under French rule. And he called it the Holy Roman Empire under the Frankish rule. At that point, the center of power had moved into France and was there and controlled most of Western Europe. And then, later on in history, about 962 AD, Otto I from Germany... Takes over and and takes over the entire Western area, and he's a German, and he calls it the Holy Roman Empire of Germany. And he takes over the area. Okay? Western Europe, centered in Germany. Now I want you to think about this. You see Putin and you're seeing Western Europe. Okay, let me let me do a test for you. Which leg will win? Because in the Western leg, they want Rome. They want globalism. In the Eastern leg, uh, uh, Putin just wants Russia to be the head of all the nations. Who wins, according to Scripture? Because the next phase is global government. The Western leg wins, doesn't it? The Eastern leg will be eliminated, and the Western leg would win. And Western Europe, Western us, means we go to globalism. Because that's the next stage of the metallic man. So you're actually, you know who wins this battle right now in Russia and Western Europe. You already know. Now here's an interesting thing. Klaus Schwab. There's something going on with Germany. And by the way, Germany never gets its policies right. They always mess up for some reason. But there's something going on in Germany. Now, here's an interesting thing. If that's where the concentration of power is, then what you saw with World War II, who started the problem in World War II? Hitler. What country is he from? Germany. And what did he try to do? Kill the Jews and have world domination. Wait a second. What you saw with Hitler is a preview, a microcosm, what the Antichrist is going to do. And it's centered in Germany, where the Western leg is of the metallic man, of the Gentile empires. Why did it come from Germany? Because that's where the power was at. So it's not a mistake that Nazism started there and Hitler came from there and also it included killing the Jews. It's a preview. It was a false start. God wasn't allowing it. And obviously, Israel was not even back in the land as an official country. So it was a false start. But it was a foreshadowing of what the Antichrist would do. Huh. Now let's bring it to this guy. Klaus Schwab. You should know this guy. He's very evil. He's the most evil guy on the planet walking. He actually wears clothes that are evil. He puts it on a wardrobe. It looks like Anakin Skywalker for some reason. I don't know why. He doesn't wear a suit and tie. He wears these, these Jedi robes. It's weird. I've never seen so weirdest guy in the world. Everybody is bowing a knee to him in Western society, in Western society, not China or anyone else. Western society bows a knee to this guy. They do whatever this guy tells them to do. I find that weird because he has no power and he has no money. But why do they all listen to him? Why does the Pope follow this guy? Why does everybody, Biden administration, everything, when they make the phone call, change your campaign from malarkey to build back better? Okay, who has that kind of power over Joe Biden? Who is pulling the strings? These guys, and he's the head of it all. He he trained Gavin Newsom, did you know that? That's why Gavin Newsom is doing globalism in California. You don't realize it. He is. He's trained by this guy. Macron, even Putin was trained by this guy. All, the, all your world leaders, Chelsea Clinton, all these people trained by him. And they do exactly what he says. Now, you ready for the, the clincher? This is too much for you, right? What's the clincher about this guy? Is he from China? Is he from Africa? Is he from Russia? Where is this guy coming from? German. He's from Germany. When you ever hear this guy talk, he's like a James Bond movie villain with a with a hairless cat petting it. Right? You ever heard this guy talk? It's like Dr. Evil, man. You think it's an accident? that this guy comes from Germany and he's telling the whole Western society what to do to make a global government? I think not. That's not an accident because the Western leg is still centered in, in Europe and primarily in Germany and the surrounding countries around Germany right now. That's a spiritual issue and no one sees it but you who know prophecy. It's all adding up, isn't it? What are the future stages of Roman imperialism? Well, we go to a one-world government next. That's the next stage, a stage three. Then the next stage will be a 10-global kingdom stage. That's the toes and the horns. So you'll have a global government, and then that global government will break into 10 global confederations. So you'll have Mexico, Canada, and America in one global region. You'll have Europe in one region, Australia in one region. So there's 10. They've already sliced and diced the, the world already with this. They've already done it. They already know how they're going to do this. And then what happens out of this 10 division stage, the Antichrist comes out of it. He's the little horn. He becomes the 11th horn. And he practices not just imperialism, but absolute imperialism. Absolute. Now here's, like I said, I didn't realize how absolute this was going to be. I, I thought, well, of course, of course they're going to control our buying and selling. We know that they're already starting to do that now. But he will control the buying and selling. But what I didn't realize, and what we all are now realizing with technology, is it's a biometric imperialism. It's biometric. They're going to hack us and control us from the inside. You know, they think, Brandon, you're crazy, man. You're making stuff up. You're a tin foil hat guy. You're listening to these crazy guys. No, I'm not. I'm listening to them and what they're saying. Now, I got a lot of videos, but I don't have time. I'm running out of time. I'll show them next week when we study the Antichrist. I'm going to show you two videos, though, and it will blow your socks off because I'm not making this up. This, uh, this next guy, if you don't know who this guy is, you better pay particular attention to it, Yuval Harari. Yuval Harari is one of the evilest men that walked the planet. And by the way... If, if Klaus Schwab is Batman, he's Robin. He speaks into the ear of Klaus Schwab. He's his top advisor. Does that make us, that's, that's, that's an accident, Brandon. No way could these two guys be connected. Oh, yes, they are. This guy is another evil guy. I've never heard such evil and blasphemy come from one individual. He's awful. Okay, so, in these videos, I'll show you later on, he, he, he claims that we need to have overarching authority to govern the world, okay? So he talked about globalism. Let me get through this. And then the next, the, the, the last meeting in Davos, just recently, they were talking about the metaverse for controlling our minds. This is a big deal. <clears throat> show it next week. Five billion people are... So, cliffhanger, you got to come back next week to get the video, Okay. You, we know what we're doing here. We got to bring you back, you know. <laughs> Five billion people expected to enter the metaverse by 2030. Five billion. We have, what, nine? Bi- w- 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 that's half the population of the planet is going to be on this. According to Citi, uh, Citigroup, or Citibank, or whatever, it could be an eight trillion to 13 trillion opportunity in eight years. They're getting everyone hooked up on this metaverse. Now, Facebook, Zuckerberg, evil dude spends $1 billion to purchase tech company that will allow you to control your computer using only your thoughts. That's no good. That sound, Oh, yeah, that sounds great. No, you're going to control your computer with your thoughts? I mean, something got implanted in you. Uh-uh, uh-uh, that's no good. Look at all those people. That's what you're going to see people like. Slaves with a thing on their head. Mar Gonzalez-Franco. She's a researcher at Microsoft in Redmond, Redmond, California. By 2027, watch this, we will have ubiquitous virtual reality systems that provide such rich and multi sensual experiences that will be capable of producing what? Hallucinations which blend or alter perceived reality. Thank you very much. We want to cause hallucinations in people so they don't even know what reality is anymore. This is the ultimate hacking of us in, in the inside. It's more than just imperialism on the outside. It's imperialism on the inside. And it gets worse. I'll show you this video next week. So when asked, when asked like, well, what, if you're going to have all this automation, you're going to have all these people hooked up with a virtual morality and they don't work or anything, what are you going to do with them? He says there's no role for these humans. No role? So I'll leave this on your desk. If there's no role for most of humanity that are not busy bees producing what they need to produce, what are they going to do with them? You know the answer, don't you? You can see why so many millions of people die in the tribulation. Their are, there are mindsets right there. We don't care.
1: Okay,
0: here's what I want you to listen to. This is him talking about what they're planning to do. The globalists are planning to do this. Klaus Schwab's planning to do this. Listen closely.
1: It will really become possible to hack, not just my smartphone and email, but to hack my brain, to gather immense amounts of data on my body, on my brain, and to hack that. To prepare for this kind of world, which is coming sooner, I think, that many people realize, we need an antivirus for the brain, for the mind. Even today, you think about something like fake news. Fake news basically uses our own weaknesses against us. Um, If the hackers, if the bots, they discover by monitoring you that you already have a bias against a particular group of people. So they will show you fake news about that particular group because you have an irresistible urge to click on it. What what, what did they do this time? And you will easily believe the fake news because you have this pre-existing bias. So I want an antivirus for the brain that serves me, not some corporation, that also gets to know me and knows that I have this bias against this group and warns me, watch out! You are being manipulated. And maybe even be authorized to block these kinds of manipulations. Because, you know, we don't... We should come to terms, I think, with the fact that we, as a human being, I know very little about myself. I have this notion, this illusion, of free will, that I completely control my life, my decisions, my opinions, I know myself, I I control my life, and that's not the case. So much of our opinions and decisions are the result of processes within us and outside us that we don't understand, and we need help in this era of protecting ourselves from these new kinds of manipulations.
0: OK. He's talking about hacking human beings to protect us from fake news. Now, the guy's evil, right? Yeah. So I wonder, like, what would he be his version of fake news? And he wants to create an antivirus that goes in our heads to prevent us from believing his version of fake news. Are you following this? That prevents the human mind from accepting fake news. Now, here's the thing. Should we just wrap up right now, or should I show you another video? You got time? You got two minutes? Because I'm going to show you what he believes is fake news. Or maybe I'll just show it next week. No? Oh, okay. 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 I'll take five. Here's his version of fake news.
1: And, um, and I think that fake news have been with us for thousands of years. Um, just think of the Bible. But, there's, <laughs> but, but there is a The past controls us through various stories that ancient people invented, and we still believe. We think about ourselves as belonging to a certain nation like Israel or Brazil and we believe in a certain religion like Judaism or Christianity. So when I ask myself who am I, I might reply that I'm Israeli, I'm Jewish. Yet all these nations and religions are fairly recent developments. While humans have been around for more than 2 million years, none of our nations and religions is more than a few thousand years old. Brazilians, no Portuguese, no Chinese. Judaism is only 3,000 years old. Christianity is about 2,000 years old. And even after they appeared, all these religions have undergone repeated changes. Judaism, or Christianity of today, are very different from what they were a thousand years ago. They are not eternal truth, but rather human creations. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Wait, that's not true? You got it? That's the globalist
0: idea of fake news. The Bible... Christianity, Judaism, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to them is fake news. Is That is the height of blasphemy, man. But they want to hack humans so that they don't believe in fake news. Do you see how evil this is? This is where they're going. So what is my takeaway? Well, am I just shudder in fear and go suck my thumb in a corner and say, Oh, I can't believe it. What do I do? No, God has already told you by the four winds that control all this, why it's going in this direction. It's going to the last phase of the beast empire in the Antichrist. But what? So we can get to that place? No, no, no. We got to get to the phase of Jesus coming back, ruling and reigning. That's where his purpose is. And for that, that's where the the morning star and the, 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 the light of that day dawns in our heart where it gives you joy, that yes, man, it's happening exactly as God said it would. So I can trust God even more with my future, and I can put myself in his hands and say, he's got this, man. He can take me all the way through it. You shouldn't be losing sleep over this. Because you should have, those who understand prophecy the best, have a settled calm in them. They're not discombobulated and confused about what they're saying nope it's going right according to plan and it gives them a settled peace a shalom saying yeah god's in control wow okay does that mean we sit back let it no 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 you have a responsibility now and the responsibility is you need to be about your father's business we're running out of time you're getting ready to see jesus soon and you will stand before him and you will get to see him face to, to face. face. And you'll get to see your loved ones belong before you, you. We'll we'll all be here. How are you preparing for that day? I want to be found working. I want to be found laboring. And then the Lord calls us home while we're in action. And that, maybe we're evangelizing, maybe we're teaching a Bible study or something, and then all of a sudden we're raptured at the same time we're working. That's how I want to be found. I don't want to be found on the spiritual couch, lounging around, saying, well, I can't wait till Jesus comes back, and you sit back and do nothing. No, 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 we're going to get active. So it puts a, a burden on us. Because, guys, the rest of the church is not doing anything. If we don't do it, no one will. So you got to go out and do it and know The whole goal of this is not to revive America, but to bring the messianic kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't wait. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Daniel chapter seven, how your kingdom is coming. We pray according to what you said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray that, we want that. We thank you that we're so close. We're so close, Father. Help us to be, have strength and diligence to do what you've called us to do and, 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 and to get as many people on the rescue boat as possible and to not be afraid to understand this is going according to plan. We thank you for that, Father. Bless us as we go now in Jesus' name. Amen.